The word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, all of you gathered here this day, those joining us through our cable or internet, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. So what's on your bucket list? How many of you have a bucket list? I don't know how long that phrase has been around or that concept, but the concept is one where when someone knows, especially that their life is short, that time is short, they put together a list of those experiences or things that they want to do or, or uh, enjoy before they, as it says, kick the bucket. So is it climbing the highest mountain on each of the continents? Is it jumping out of an airplane? Is it attending a baseball game in every major league stadium across the country? What's on your bucket list? It's kind of fun to think of. It's even funner, some say, to pursue. But again, the reason for it is uh, especially pronounced when someone has, for example, received a word that their time is growing very short. And that's really the, the theme of all three of the readings that we had for today. Time is short. I will be following the outline that's uh, provided in your worship folder on page three. And the very first uh, statement there is one that, that I'd like you to consider. There are uh, some, some blanks there. But um, it reads as follows. What you believe about tomorrow affects how you live today. What you believe about tomorrow affects how you live today. It only stands to reason, doesn't it? That if someone believes that they only have so much time left, it's going to change what they may see as priorities for their life today. So let me ask you, how would you live differently if you knew that the end of the world was imminent? Our Old Testament lesson actually gives us a little example of that. You might recall the prophet Jonah. He's probably better known for the whole experience with running from God the first time God sent him to Nineveh and not wanting to go there and ending up on a ship sailing away and then realizing that the storm was on account of him. He told the sailors to throw him into the, the sea. The sea became calm, but Jonah was swallowed by a large fish for three days. Well, after that whole ordeal, when the Lord spoke to him a second time, well, Jonah responded. And so he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was not in Israel. It was a city outside of the promised land, the chosen people. 
But yet God is God of all nations and all peoples. And he told Jonah to proclaim a particular message there. And boys and girls, I bet many of you might know the answer to the number of days that God was going to give the people of Nineveh to respond. All right? And so on the count of three, I want uh, any boy or girl that's here that thinks they know how many days did Jonah tell the people they had until their end was going to come. I just want you to say that number on the count of three. So here we go. One, two, three. I think I kind of heard of 40. Well, if you did say 40, you were correct. Yet 40 days, Jonah said to the people, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Their world was going to come to an end. At least that's the message that God had Jonah proclaim. Time was short. How would they respond? Now perhaps, kind of uh, unpredictably speaking, and in this case we can say wonderfully, they responded with repentance. When they heard the message, they believed God. They believed what he told them about tomorrow. And so they changed their behavior today. It says they put on sackcloth and ashes, and from the greatest of them, the most powerful, the most wealthy, all the way down to the very least of the citizens of the city, they fasted and repented. And you know what? God had mercy on them. He relented, we're told, from the disaster that he was going to bring upon them. You see, when God calls people and shares his message of law and repentance, his mercy is always there to respond. So let me ask you, was repentance on your bucket list? Now maybe you might say, I do that every day. And in fact, we're called to do that as Christians, aren't we? To, to repent of our sins and to be reminded of God's grace every day. But something tells me that the word repentance doesn't make the list for many people's bucket list. I guess it's not exciting enough. Or maybe it's not adventurous enough. Or, quite frankly, maybe many people don't even want to think about that. That they could somehow be wrong when it comes to their relationship with the Almighty. But if the end is coming, if your time is short, then where should repentance be on our list? The Lord knows. And you know what? He is waiting with His mercy and his compassion, his love and grace to forgive us whenever we turn to him. The account of Jesus calling the first disciples along the Sea of Galilee is also 
a message that had something to do with the time being short. In Mark chapter 1, we heard these words, The time is fulfilled, Jesus said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Hey, wake up, people. Something's happening. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. That's the message that Jesus shared. And as he shared that message, he had specific message for Peter and Andrew. And for James and John, he said, follow me. And they did. Obedience is the way that those first disciples responded to that message that said, time is short, the time has come, and they obeyed. Now, I don't know whether anyone here feels that God is calling them in as life-changing a way as he did those first disciples. It's possible. God certainly works in different ways at different times with different people. And there have been those who have left their previous careers or their situations and have moved or changed jobs or pursued more education or perhaps in some cases have gone into the ministry of preaching or teaching. But yet God has a message for each and every one. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Now follow me. Obey. Do what I ask. I have a feeling many of us know what God means by that. Even though it may be as unique to us as it is to each and every one. But he says the time's now. Listen. Obey. Follow me. And he promises to bless and to keep us. It's in that context that we now arrive at our epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let me say this, that I think those who put together the pericope readings, that is the series of Bible readings that in our church we follow, that over the course of three years we read from many of the scriptures in the Bible, but we certainly don't read the entire Bible from the lectern in three years. I would think that those who put together such a schedule would find it very easy to have simply not included this reading from 1 Corinthians 7. In fact, nothing from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. How did you feel when you heard those words? When the vicar read those words where Paul says, well, first of all, he says that same thing about time. He says this, he says, the time or the appointed time has grown very short. But then he goes on to say, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as if they had no dealings with it. 
at first blush. It certainly seems as if there is word against marriage or against having interactions with anyone or anything. But that's where this context is so important. Paul is not speaking in general that husbands or wives should not love and keep and cherish their spouses as is made clear in the entire scriptures. But instead, he says, because the time is short, he says, I want you for a moment to forget about all of the other stuff that's going on in your life. I want you to focus on what is the number one thing. And in his words, I believe that that would come across as undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. Now Paul recognized that the time was short. That Christ could return at any point. The end of the world could come in 40 days or less for that matter. But it also seems, and that's how we are all called to live as Christians, but it also seems that there was perhaps something else going on in the context of the Corinthian congregation of the Roman Empire there in Greece or in the Roman Empire throughout its reign that was happening that Paul wanted the people to be aware of. Just a few verses before our text, he uses the reference and he says, in light of the present crisis that is there. You see, these words and instructions come in the context of time is of the essence. And we need to focus on what is the absolute most important thing, serving the Lord. Some of you may recall when Jesus was asked by his disciples about when the end of time would come, he began to tell them about the signs of the end. He talked about wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, and famines and earthquakes. That might be familiar to us. But as he speaks about the end of time, it seems like he transitions into also referencing something that was going to be coming relatively shortly, a specific point in time. And as we've had the privilege of hindsight to look back on it, Many believe that what Jesus was talking about later in Matthew 24 was the time when the Romans would come and lay siege to Jerusalem and destroy it completely. And that took place in the year 70 AD, some 40 years or so after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. But as he was looking into the future, so to speak, you might recall that he made some very interesting statements. He, he said to them as he was talking about these terrible days that were to come, he said, pray that it not happen in winter and that when you hear about it, don't return to your house and get things. And he said, ladies, he said, pray that, that you're not pregnant at the time and that you are not nursing your little ones. You see, he gave those types of specific warnings because of the events that were going to happen that did, in fact, prove to be truly awful for the people of that city and especially for God's people. 
It is with that in mind that it is wondered whether or not Paul has that type of, of presence as he thinks and he speaks to the Corinthians about the present crisis there. Because as you read through this chapter, and by the way, 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter, if you want to have discussions with people, if you want to get into deeper studying of the word and find a section where you may feel that you don't understand everything, jump on into 1 Corinthians 7. You see, I think the Lord gives us these types of sections in Scripture to keep us coming back, to keep growing, to keep studying, to keep coming together as Christians in worship and in Bible study and in fellowship so that we can wrestle with what he has for us. But as you look at those, you come across this chapter where it seems as if Paul is saying, you know, it's really better if nobody got married and everybody was single like I am. Well, that's certainly how it can come across. But as you read it, and as you study it, you recognize that Paul was not saying everybody be like I am, namely as a single person. But he prays that everyone would be celibate, would have that self-control as he does. He recognizes that the life of singlehood is, in fact, a special blessing and grace. But that with marriage also comes the responsibilities of taking care of each other, of loving and raising and nurturing. And in the midst of a crisis, that can make things even more difficult and challenging. And so he says, I would spare you those things if you have a choice. But having said that, one thing that needs to be pointed out is that someone can have undivided devotion to the Lord, regardless of whether they're single or married, our grandparents or our parents of 12 kids. Because loving one's spouse and loving one's family is one of the ways that we show that we love God as well. And that's what God calls us to do. To love him in whatever state we are. Whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, is to perform undivided devotion to the Lord. One can love God through loving one's spouse and family. One can love God with everything they have of heart, soul, and mind even in the midst of the crisis, even when time is of the essence. Now, if all this talk about time being short or of a present crisis, if that brings any anxieties to you, if that makes you worry or, or fear or wonder what's going to happen, you can only imagine what the Corinthians felt when Paul wrote these words to them. But that's why he also included these words. From both verses 32 and 35, he said this, I want you to be free from anxieties, he says. I want, I say this for your own benefit. He does not want to lay any laws or bind anyone's conscience. He wants them not to worry. He wants them to to know that 
God has their best interest in mind. And so, perhaps we can conclude with that summary, time is short. Don't worry. Serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.